Father, we, we thank you that you are the one who gives your spirit, gives good gifts to his children. Thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, as we begin to explore what that means as we unpack it this morning, Father, may that just resonate within our hearts today. Lord, may reality and truth change our hearts this morning. We ask that in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Amen. One day, a little boy heard a commotion going on in the farm yard next, next door. Looking over the fence, he saw two men chasing a pig around a pen. They caught it, and then, to his horror, he watched as they killed that pig right before his eyes. As the little boy heard the squeals of that dying pig, one of the men saw him and, and grabbed a bottle from the ground. He screwed the lid on really tight, saying... And, and went over to the fence, handed the boy the bottle and told him, never open that bottle because inside is trapped the squeals of that dying pig. Terrified, the little boy took the bottle, he ran into the house and many nights he just lay awake, just haunted by the thoughts and, and by what he'd seen, what he'd heard that afternoon. Years went by, he'd hid that bottle somewhere in a cupboard but the nightmares kept coming. Time passed. The little boy was now a man with, with, with children all of his own. And, and one day he thought, you know what? I need to confront that fear. I need to open that bottle. The house was empty. He went up into the attic where he'd hidden that bottle many years before. And as he, as he picked up that bottle, all the memories just kept flooding back into his mind. And, and before he could set that bottle down, it, it slipped from between his fingers. It bounced down the, the wooden steps and then hit the tile floor and then smashed. And in that second, he could hear the squeals of that pig. And then, well, then there was silence. For the first time in years, he was at peace. And many of us perhaps can identify with something of, of that story, perhaps with maybe fears, maybe even irrational fears and, and, and shame and guilt. And, and it just feels all too real. And today I want to pray, I pray that bottles would be smashed, that people would be released in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as we spend time just meditating on the word of God. God by his spirit comes to you and he gives you freedom, he gives forgiveness from sin, from guilt, from worries, he gives you his peace. And in doing so, he builds you up and he encourages you. So don't live in fear and in shame. And my prayer is that you receive his peace. That today, I believe that God wants to remind you of his faithfulness, of his grace, of his love, of his gentleness, of his compassion. That you may be built up in Christ. That you would be filled with his spirit. That you would be set free. That you would live free from condemnation. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 puts it like this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is 
freedom. But we're actually in Romans chapter 8. <laughs> so listen, listen to this declaration of freedom that Paul writes. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 on the screen. Can you read it with me? Let's, let's read it together. Let's declare it together. Can't see it. No. Can you just about see it? It's, I think it's the NIV version as far as I remember. It starts this, therefore, okay, one, two, three. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakest by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now this is probably one of the most loved chapters in the whole of Scripture and the most amazing and the most wonderful news. In Christ, we are not condemned. In fact, in Christ, we have been set free. But the phrase that Paul uses here in verse 1 is actually much stronger than just simply saying, I am not condemned. It is that, we, that there is no condemnation at all. There is no possibility of it. Not only are you not condemned, you can never be and you will never be condemned. And the truth of this should affect every single area of our lives. But actually in particular, what Paul really wants to emphasize here, that it affects the way in which we respond to sin. You see, sin has no control over us at all. Absolutely none. We don't live under the shame of it. We don't live, live under the guilt of it. You are free. There is no condemnation. Just say it with me, okay? I am free. You believe it? I am free. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the truth of God's word. If you are by faith, you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are free. There is no condemnation. Now in chapter 7, Paul shows us that the Christian still wrestles and actually with remaining an indwelling sin, we do sin. We've got to admit to that, we do sin. Unfortunately, we sin. Yet at the same time, the Christian now experiences a real disgust over sin. Paul puts it like this, what I hate, I do. It's chapter 7, verse 15. I just, have you ever been just give, given into temptation? And as soon as you've given in, you think, why did I do that? I hate the fact that I've just done that. How could I have, how could I have done that? We can identify with that and, and we, we're torn. This battle is going on inside us, the flesh versus the spirit. It's just a battle that is raging within. But there's something much more. Though those who are in Christ sin, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. You understand what Paul is saying here? This is 
just should revolutionize our thinking. You are not condemned. And the, Paul goes on and says, this, this is not, listen, this is not because of your own obedience. Chapter 7 has shown us, which is the reality for all of our lives, that no Christian obeys as they should, but there is no condemnation because of the work of the Son, God's Son, and because of the work of the Spirit. Chapter 8 and verse 2. But also, because the Spirit is at work within us, He will do what you cannot do. And you cannot do this. You cannot. You try really hard to live a holy life before God in your own strength. Doesn't work. He does the work. The Spirit of the God is at work. He is the one who overcomes sin. In fact, the work of the Spirit is what chapter 8 is all about. And this truth should affect not just our now, but actually will affect our future. God is the God who saves. And Paul has been very clear. It is the power of God who, cha- who changes your life. And the source of that salvation is by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not deserved. It's only the grace of God, irrespective of your abilities to do good work. And it's a mystery, Because you cannot begin to understand the mind of God. And on one hand, well actually this this leaves us with no reason to boast. But on the other, you can rest in the peace and in the assurance, stable and secure, depending not on yourself, but on the grace of God for all of eternity. See, this is all about Jesus. God did what no law could ever do. In his son, God has defeated the legal penalty for sin, death. Death has been destroyed. It is wiped out. It has no hold over you whatsoever. You are free. Life in the spirit means that you're moving into this whole new sphere in Christ. You are dead to the law and that you are free from the law. So the law cannot condemn you because Jesus has already suffered that condemnation on the cross and God sent his son to save you and do what the law could never ever do. So since Jesus has paid the price for your sins and since you are in Christ, God will not condemn you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that you? In Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that's not all. You see, through through his son's work, God now sends the Spirit to his people to wipe out sin in your life. The righteous requirement of the law can now be fully met in us. Verse 4. So the law cannot control you. But actually, how could this be? How can it be? Because we do not live according to the sinful nature, but we live according to the Spirit. And verse 4 is telling us that everything Christ did for you, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection was in order that you might live a holy life. The indwelling spirit enables you to walk in obedience to God's will. The righteousness which God demands in his law is fulfilled in you through the spirit's power. Not your power, through the spirit's power. 
Jesus' whole purpose was to make you holy, to equip you by his spirit to live a holy life. And, and this is the greatest possible power. It's also a great motive to, to help us to live a holy life. You think about it. Whenever you sin, you are endeavoring to frustrate the aims and the purposes of the entire ministry of Christ Jesus. That doesn't give you an incentive to live a holy life. Nothing will. But actually, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you you need to try harder. I'm telling you you need to be filled with the Spirit more. You need to have the Spirit working within your life. See, the legalist, the legalist says that they will try to obey God in their own strength. And they're going to fail to measure up to the righteousness that God demands. The Spirit-filled person who submits to the Lord will experience the sanctifying work of the Spirit within their life. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purposes. You need to be increasingly filled with His Spirit. Christian, you need to be increasingly filled with His Spirit. So let me ask you, what areas in your life do you hold back from allowing the Spirit to really minister into? Are there aspects in which you need to just release over to Him? You need to allow the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word to change that area within your life. God needs to be working. Paul goes on. Romans 8, verse 5 to 14. Let me read this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on the Spirit's desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Yet, however, yet, however, sorry, you, that's the word we're looking for, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. For if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, there's an old saying that goes something like this. Tell me what you eat, and I'll tell you what you are. Perhaps a more modern way of putting it, you are what you eat. And that pretty well sums up all that Paul is saying in these, 
in, in this little section of, of Scripture here. See, what you dwell on in your, with your mind will shape the way in which you live your life. What you set your mind on shapes your character, it shapes your behavior. And actually, when you, all, when you boil it all down, there's really only two things that people set their minds upon. Verse 5. Fleshly desires or spiritual desires. In fact, such is the huge contrast between these two things that Paul goes on to emphasize them in three more even dramatic ways. He talks about them being like death versus life. It's, it's, it's war with God versus peace with God. It's pleasing self compared to pleasing God. But to set your mind is more than just simply thinking about something. It means to focus intently on something, to be preoccupied by it, to, to let your attention and your imagination be totally captivated by something. Whatever your mind naturally goes when you're free from all other distractions, that is what you really live for. So what is that for you? Let me ask you a couple of questions just to help you maybe focus it down. When you're quiet, when you're alone, what do you do? When you're free from all other distractions, what does your mind naturally go to? What do you begin to think about? You thought about it? What does that then suggest that your mind is actually set on? Third question. Has that surprised you? See, Paul wants us to be controlled by the Spirit. Verse 9 tells us who those people actually are. It says, you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So let me be very clear. If you do not have the Spirit you do not belong to Christ. The true Christian belongs to Christ because the Spirit lives within them. Your body becomes the very temple of the Holy Spirit. So even though your body still battles with sin, your true allegiance is to the Spirit who gives life by the grace of God through Christ's righteousness. This is both for now, but also for the future. But what a difference the Holy Spirit makes to your body when he lives within you. You experience a new life. The evangelist D.L. Moody describes his conversion experience. He said this, he says, I was in a new world. The, the, the next morning, the sun shone brighter, the birds sang sweeter, the old elm waved their branches with joy, and all nature was at peace. Listen, life in the spirit is abundant. But it's not, enough, it's not enough for us to have the Spirit. The Spirit must have you. Amen. It's not enough for us to have the Spirit. The Spirit must have you. You have to give Him your full attention. He doesn't share you with anything else or anyone else. He wants the whole of your heart. He wants your full, captivated attention on him. Only then will he share with us the abundant life that can be ours in Christ Jesus. So listen, 
You need to know, you have got no obligation to the flesh. No obligation to the flesh, not even for a moment. The flesh will only bring trouble to your life. I think most of us can agree with that from experience. It just it tends to take us and spiral us downhill, takes us to a bad place, but you do have an obligation to live according to the Spirit, verse 12. It is the Spirit who has convicted you, revealed Christ to you, imparted eternal life to you when you trusted in Christ. And because he is the Spirit of life, he can empower you to obey Christ and he will enable you to be more like Christ. So Christian, you are not those who live by your sinful nature. You don't live by the flesh that therefore leads to death. You will, in fact, you must be those who put to death the misdeeds of the body. You've been made alive, free from condemnation. Remember? Free from condemnation. And you will one day have a renewed body, but for now, for now, you put to death the sinful nature in the power of the Spirit. Not in your strength, in the power of the Holy Spirit. This means a ruthless, a, a full-hearted resistance to sinful practices. Putting to death is a violent, it's a, it's a sweeping phrase. It means to declare war on attitudes and behavior that are simply wrong. The Christian doesn't play games with sin. They put it to death within their life. You need to be violent with it. It needs to be killed. This also, of course, means applying the gospel to your heart rather than just simply resisting sin through your own behavior. You need to remember that your obligation is towards the one who has given you spiritual life now and who will give you a perfect body in the future. But sin can only be cut off at the root if you expose yourself constantly to the unimaginable love of Christ for you. Sin will grow when you think you deserve something else from God or from life. Godliness grows when you remember that you are in a debt towards God throughout your life. And putting sin to death is part of what it means to have our minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, I don't need to be prophetic or even insightful to know that there will be people here who are struggling with sinful patterns. You need to put those sinful patterns to death within your life. You need to pray that God would baptize you, that God would, would fill you, increasingly refill you with His Spirit. You need His power. Again, you cannot do this in your own strength. You, you, your self-will is knowing all last. Might, you may get a, a day, maybe a week, maybe a little bit longer if you're particularly good. You need the Holy Spirit. You need him to equip you. You need his power. You, do, you need to apply God's word to your life to declare truth over your life. You, you ever preach to yourself? I preach to myself quite a lot sometimes. You preach many sermons to yourself, remind yourself about Christ, remind yourself of the fact that he died, his blood was shed for you on the cross, remind yourself of his resurrection, remind himself that your victory is because of him, that you stand victorious, remind yourself of the debt that you owe to him. 
but never, and also never, never be afraid to remind yourself, or for that matter, the powers of darkness, that you belong to Jesus, that you are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of all. But also sometimes there's actually a need for ministry, a need for prayer, a need for, for deliverance. Listen, if you toy with sin within your life, if you toy particularly with repetitive, habitual sin, you will give a foothold to the enemy within your life. That needs to be dealt with. It needs to be cast out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, there are many ways in which you can leave yourself vulnerable to, to the enemy. It can be lies and deception. It can be dabbling with occultic type stuff. It can be mind-controlling substances. It can be sexual immorality. Listen, we live in a sex-orientated society. Those passions have become very powerful. They've become very compelling. They drive us. They occupy our minds. Statistically, if you believe that, the, that in the biblical principle that those intimate moments between a man and a woman should only be within marriage, you are in the minority today. Affairs, sexual promiscuity are on the increase. About 70% of men, 30% of women regularly view internet porn at least once a month. 90% of young people have viewed pornography by the age of 14. And that pressure is increasing and it's all too accessible. And this world and Satan wants to tell us it's perfectly okay. It's not going to harm you. It's not going to give you any trouble whatsoever. Yet, it stands at odds with what the scripture says. But it's not just wrong. It's hurtful. It's destructive to you. Even secular psychiatrists and psychologists agree with this. If we take pornography as an example, one of the devastating things about pornography is that it creates a standard of beauty that you then go on to compare to your spouse or to your future spouse. In fact, it's impossible to be satisfied within your marriage if you're always comparing your spouse to someone else or to some image on a computer screen. It will destroy and it will distort your relationship. Instead, you make your wife, your husband, your standard of beauty. Nobody else. Live with purity before God and before each other. And understand, this is not about killing people's joy. This is not about, God's not some sort of buzzkill who wants to just wreck your life and make you miserable. In fact, the very opposite is true. As you put to death sin, as you set yourself free from the, the control the enemy has over your life, you will find joy. You will find greater joy, joy as you've never known before. And it's not about condemnation. Remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is about freedom. It's about life in the Spirit. That is why Paul carries on in verse 15. Let's read it together. Verse 15. We got up there? You ready? The, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, 
if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we also may share in his glory. Amen. There are probably few other verses that so wonderfully describe the relationship that you and I as Christians enjoy with God by his spirit. Now verse 14 told us that we are led by the spirit and then we become children of God. Verse 15 tells us that this sonship is a received status. It's not a natural one. So when you were born into this world, when your mum gave birth to you, you didn't automatically become a Christian. No, you were adopted into God's family when you received his spirit through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in the Roman world, a wealthy, a childless man might actually adopt somebody else as his heir. Now that heir would have been male. So Paul is describing all Christians here, male and female, boy and girl, as sons. So ladies, don't get offended. It's actually, in a sense, and certainly in, in Old Testament times, or in New Testament times, a real privilege. You're described as a son. You are equal standing before God. <coughs> So the moment adoption occurs, the new son, old debts are cancelled, he gets a new name, he becomes an heir of all the father has, the new father becomes liable for all of his actions, the new son has got an obligation to please and to honour his father. <coughs> I want you to just stop for a moment and just take all of that in. Because that is what God has done for you. He's adopted you into his family. And you're adopted into this immeasurable, this limitless family of God. Amazingly, God is your father. You are his heir. You take on his name, his inheritance. You come with his authority. It's yours in Christ. It's yours because God has given it to you, imparted it to you by his spirit. You are a privileged child of the king. Amazing. But you remember back to verse 5, Paul draws a distinction between two spirits. Two ways of thinking about our relationship with God. The first attitude is actually based on fear. The attitude of a slave. See, a slave obeys because he has to. He, he fears punishment. He's insecure. And it's a sort of a view that would say something like this. I must perform well in my work to God. And then, well, he'll pay my wages. He'll answer my prayers. He'll protect me and, and so on. But if I perform badly or poorly, well, he might just fire me. And if you think that way about God, you have got it all completely wrong. You've misunderstood all that God is saying. In fact, Paul says here that we do not receive a relationship like God with that. Instead, he says, you receive the spirit of sonship. Amen? You receive the spirit of of sonship. The Spirit gives you the ability and the confidence to approach God as Father. Not as a slave master or even as a boss. Instead, a child obeys out of love for his daddy. 
He knows the security of ongoing forgiveness and unconditional love. It's the view that says, I am a child of God and he loves me and will give me more than I deserve. My performance doesn't change my position in the family, but I want to work harder for him because he's my loving father. Can we say it together? Is it up there? Next slide, Paul. Let's declare it. I am a child of God and he loves me and will give me more than I deserve. My performance doesn't change my position in the family, but I want to work hard for him because he's my loving father. One of the privileges of sonship is that the Spirit enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. The Father wants you to enjoy the closest of relationships, the most intimate of relationships with Him. He hears you when you laugh. He hears you when you cry to Him for help in areas that you're struggling with, When you're sad, when when life's difficult, he hears you. Listen, he is for you and he will not condemn you. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you getting this? This is God's word, the truth of God's word. It needs to apply by the Spirit into our hearts. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so there's no need for the believer to be defeated. If you walk in step with the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, if you submit yourself to His will by faith, you can overcome the old nature. The Holy Spirit of life will empower you. He will enable you to put to death sin within your life. He will enrich you and He will lead you into the will and into the purposes of God for you. But listen, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Now I know that most of us have come to faith in Christ. We've received the Holy Spirit. But listen, like, I can only speak for myself, but we leak, do we not? We struggle with certain areas. Life's challenges come against us. And and we need to continually be refilled with the Holy Spirit to receive from Him we set our minds on what the Spirit desires, we can only do that as the Holy Spirit comes and fills us from within. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. If you're comfortable, why not just reach out and just lift your hands before God. It's just an, sometimes just helps and we want to receive from Him. We can come to it with a stance of being able to just say, Lord, I want to receive from you today. It's the ministry of God. It's not about me. It's not about, it doesn't matter who prays. It's the Holy Spirit at work. You want situations in your life, circumstances. Perhaps there's a, this issue of, of fear so prevalent Satan so often comes and puts fear and robs us. We want to pray that, that those bottles, that little illustration at the very beginning, those bottles will be smashed in the presence of God, in the Spirit. The Spirit comes and just, <coughs> just breaks in.
He removes fear. It's gone in the name of Jesus. Perhaps there's habitual sin that just, you know, you've just struggled with and you, you just want to you stand in the presence of God and we're going to pray. We pray that that would be dealt with. You'd be set free in the name of Jesus. It doesn't mean to say all your problems are going to go away. Listen, there's a constant battle. It's not, we're not saying for a second that you've, one prayer is going to sort your life out. That's not how it works. This is about relationship. It's about being filled. It's about knowing the Spirit of God at work daily in our life. Refilled today. Tomorrow morning, refilled again. Tuesday morning, refilled again. Wednesday morning, you get the picture, yeah? Let's just pray. Father, we stand in your presence. And Lord, we, we just need, we need you. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Father, we, we say, Father, send your Spirit afresh. Father, as we wait here in your presence, Lord, we, with expectation, know that you're going to do a work within people's lives. Lord, we want to pray, Lord, for those who are just struggling with, with this issue of fear. Father, we want to speak out in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We want to pray now in the name of Jesus, be gone, fear. Be gone. No place in lives. I pray, Lord, just for that, that shattering of bottles, for, 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 for that, that things containing anxiety and fear and, 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 and even shame to be broken open in the presence of God that, that the release comes right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Do your work, Lord. Do your work, Lord. In your presence, Lord, we stand. In your presence. Lord, I pray, Lord God, for those, those habitual sins, Lord God, that have just caught and captivated and Lord pull people's attention away from their true attention in Christ Father I want to pray Lord for a breaking of those chains from around people's lives yes. right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Father it's by the spirit of the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit we pray Father for a breaking of chains for release in the name of Jesus In the name of Jesus. And now God, just as we, we stand in his presence, again, the word that, from God's word, truth of God's word that comes, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not about condemnation. Conviction is not condemnation. The spirit will convict us, but that brings release. It brings freedom. Father, we declare, Lord God, that you, Lord, by your spirit, Lord God, as you convict, Father, we pray, Lord, for that release, for that freedom to come now in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray, Lord God, as we stand in your presence, Lord God, that you would do a deep work within our hearts, within our lives. Father, that we would walk in freedom. Lord, as we were released, Father, we pray, Lord God, for a walk, Lord, with your spirit, in step with you, Lord, over these next few days, the next few weeks, the next few months. We pray that in the precious name of Christ. Amen. <laughs>